Welcome to a Night Shift Football Podcast Red Edition. Glad to have you back. Cooper and Tommy are here with us. Say good day, guys. Howdy. What's up? There he is. Um, if you missed last week's go back, Cooper and I went to the 20th anniversary dinner. We did a bit of a special on that. We tried to take notes. Uh, combination of taking notes, taking in the night, and getting absolutely hammered over the bar. It was a brilliant night, though. Go check that one out. Uh, we also have episode 140. Two, I want to say, is out. Talked about the Socceroos win over Indonesia and some other stuff. You know, Klopp saying goodbye. Cooper got pretty teary and emotional about it. So go listen to that if you if you like. Uh, let's talk Adelaide United's loss to Melbourne City last week, Thursday night. Um, I'm just going to jump straight into Nestor Irenkunda. It's probably good we've had a few days to, to ease off on this, but I want to know where you're both at with this. Uh, I've got some thoughts myself, but I'll go to Cooper first. Have you ever seen uh, I was gonna, a man or 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 a young man in this a case being the uh, be by far your best player and by far your worst player on mm. the pitch all at the same time? Yeah, uh, it's probably the best way to describe it. I think. I think the it's point the, um, where it's the Darwin Nunes effect, Cooper, uh, to to an extent. Um, I think the point right with Nestor is that. He gets into such aggressive positions and he does such wonderful things that people just get so overly frustrated at. I, I, I guess it's his frustration when one or two things don't go his way and then yeah. he starts trying to do the spectacular because as much as we know he's capable of it, and I think part of the problem is he knows that he's capable of it, is, and I think this is an Adelaide United problem at the core, how we've said so many times that it's a little bit embarrassing and concerning that we're relying on a 17-year-old to win yeah. us games. Is potentially he feels like he has the license to do this thing because he feels like he has to go and win us this game, that if he doesn't, he's responsible. And and so he's trying to pull out these wonder goals to to square the ledger, yeah. and, and he doesn't need to. I just I feel like this ties into... Um, a little bit, especially his performance in this game, the tactical setup of Carl. This almost felt like a good time to revert back to the to the four three three or whatever we had been trying to employ prior to that, because I think it it re- it reduces the pressure on Aaron Kunda's shoulders to create in those areas just outside the box or running into goal. I thought we saw a very uh, ineffectual cloth in this game, and it was crying out for someone centrally to really try and exploit um, the two DMs, Yugakovic and Antonis, who I've always been a big fan of. I think that's a great combination, but that is a combo that you can definitely get in behind. And and then you've got Iren Kunda running wide, Halloran running wide, you've got Clough on the ball. And I think you can pull that back full apart. Um, so for me, I've got no issue with Iren Kunda taking long shots or taking on shots from ridiculous angles because this boy is a, is a talent. He's an absolute, he's going to be a superstar. And I want more opportunities for him to show us that he is going to be a superstar than not. So yeah, it's frustrating. And, you know, the group chats start to fill up with what the fuck is he doing? But at the same time, I'll forgive it because yeah. we're eighth in the league and it doesn't really matter. The frustration I get is, you know, when, and I get it, if he makes poor decisions in terms of his final, like whether he should play a pass or not, I get those frustrations and I get people saying he's, uh, like Cooper, you've said it before, if he's playing in the team, he, like if you're good enough, you're old enough, and so he should be, you know, he should come off, or he should, he's open to the criticism. The problem for me is like, 
Aaron Kunda, like you said at the start, being the best and worst player, a lot of the opportunities he got, he created for himself. He picked up the ball so many times with his back to goal wide and then beat a man with a quick little turn inside and then darted diagonally towards the box. And he did it so well. And so in that sense, he's creating everything for us. And he was almost one of our like our most important player that night. If one if one of those shots had gone in, he would have been, you know, the hero. But they didn't go in. And so everyone has these frustrations and I get it, but it's like a, if you take him off and you, who are you going to put there that's going to create? Like he, at the end of the day, it's not like he's playing that badly that he's not creating anything at all. If he was not creating anything, I think we saw one of those home games where he came off early-ish. Brisbane. I can't remember. Who, Brisbane maybe, yeah, where he, no influence at all. But in this game, he genuinely was having an influence and Melbourne City were worried about him. Um it just didn't have the final product. And to me, it's one of those things where by virtue of him having the ball a lot and creating everything, because he can't put the finishing touch on it, it makes him look like he's having a worse game than, say, like a Ben Halloran, who I thought was virtually non-existent the other night and was out there running around like a fucking teapot. Like, Yeah, again. Know. And he's so he's so prone to doing that, Benny. He'll just he's, flow in yeah. and out of games. It's but so annoying. But isn't going to be end, on the end of that same frustration because no, he hasn't he hasn't had the ball to be able to fuck up <laughs> whereas Nestor he had the ball all the time and so was That's able to it. fuck up more you know and like Ben Halloran is never going to create that Nestor chance where he flicks it past the last defender on halfway and sprints mm. into a one-on-one situation with Jamie Young yeah I mean that's that I think that's the cherry on top for everybody that would like the guy he's been shooting first time taking shots early all night. And then the one moment where you just like, just hit it from outside the box, just like you did at home against <laughs> yeah. city last season, put it in the corner, bro. And he just second guesses himself, yeah. made a mess, runs it straight into him, basically made a real mess of it. Yeah. I yeah. Had the, um, oh, could be, you can go if you want. I, I was going to go back to Ben Haller and then, and we just spoke about Nestor and, and who are you? We discussed it during the game that I, I said that I think that Carl's, player and person management of Nesta for a guy that goes into press conferences and preaches how much he looks after this kid, his player management of Nesta is horrendous. Just like not even from this game. If you look back, I think the cool. under the underlying frustration of Nesta taking these shots is they've become the volume of them has become larger and larger and larger over the last yeah, three or four weeks. We've, we've noticed it at home games. There was the one game, I think, uh, Newcastle where we were chasing a goal and before he, in the period, the 15 minutes before he came off, he had six yeah. shots from outside <laughs> the box and didn't hit the target once. And then yeah. he was le- left on potentially. That was the night that we said Hiroshi shouldn't have come off when he did and it should have been Nesta that came off instead. Mm. And I think if you take Nesta off in that moment, there's lessons to be learned there. But then when you get in a scenario against Melbourne City on the weekend where we're saying that he can't take Nesta off because he's been probably our most influential player, there's no way to stop him or teach him to not, you know, let's not shoot from 40 yards every time we go forward. Yeah. Let's try and pick a pass and, and potentially get the ball back and be yeah. on the end of it or be part yeah, of the goal. Um, there's no opportunity there to take him off and teach him that lesson because you should have done it three weeks ago when you didn't and now now we're here where we are and it's a combination of everything. And and with Ben Halloran, I, I think he has his role in this side and, and in this this formation sure. of playing this 4 triple two. My thing is that I, I think it's because of his two assists against Sydney FC in, in Unite around the week before. He almost did that thing where he, he played so well he was undroppable, as you might yeah. say. But Carl just has to be fierce on this rotation if he's going to 
rotating this four triple two. And if there's a game where we're on par with or potentially should be better than the team we're playing, then you have Ben Halloran up front next to Hiroshi Ibasuki for a little bit more execution and potentially a little bit more experience yep. and class on the ball. When we play a team like Melbourne City away from home and they're probably going to be on top of us and they're probably going to have a majority of the pe- the possession and and play, then you start Luka Jovanovic, who provides that extra outlet alongside Hiroshi Ibasuki and is going to give you 10 times the work rate that Ben Halloran's going to. And if we're going to play this formation, that's more than fine, but we've got to get these things right because this this game was not built for Ben Halloran, the way that this game was played. It is as bad as, you know, I, I don't like the guy. I want to sit here and say it was fucking dog shit, whatever, but this game did not <laughs> you have play. It, it did not play into the hands of Ben Halloran at all. And because yeah. it didn't, Zach Cloth was punished being on the same side as him because when Zach Clough was under pressure, he couldn't just turn onto his right foot, play a weighted pass down the line and have Luca run like a dog and get to it and hold the play up because mm-hmm. it was Ben Haller in there. And these are the combinations that I just, at times I say that Carl is tactically inept and this is what I mean, that people are seeing these things, but he's potentially not. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. That's what I was saying. I just, I think he set us up incorrectly for this game. You know, we've got a wood over city doing a certain thing. And we've had to adjust in recent weeks because we haven't been getting results where we should have. But that doesn't mean that you can't revert back to the thing that works against the side that you know how to beat. Like we were so confident coming into this game, thinking that we know exactly what City are going to do. You know, Togi Arsland is probably the only guy that could break a game open. But if we're going to defend properly, and I think having Isaias at centre-back is such a great ploy to negate whatever Arsland is going to do. It just it didn't make sense that we'd lined up like that again. And yeah, it nullified all of our best threats. Mm. Incredibly frustrating game. I just if I can just finish on Iren Kundo before I move on. Um I mentioned to you guys I was getting pretty defensive of him day after. This is a broader football thing, a broader Australian thing. Australia's tall poppy syndrome and desire to cut people down. The amount of people I have seen getting joy or getting joy out of Nestory not hitting the target or getting joy out of, or maybe making the jokes about, you know, oh, Bayern, I hope Bayern have still got the receipt or like, I hope, oh, Bayern, what were Bayern thinking, signing this guy, like that that kind of thing. Like just, I don't understand why you would want to see this guy cut down. Do we not want to see Australian footballers get opportunities at clubs like that? Or are we just that stuck up our own asses that we have to go, oh, and scoff at it and go, oh, he's... He's, he can't be that good. Like Bayern Munich are one of the best clubs in the world. There's no way. Like, who cares if he doesn't get a game for him? He, they've signed him. He's going over there. He's going to train. Or they're going to loan him out somewhere. Like, who cares? It's happened. Like, enjoy it. Support him. I want to, like, you should be wanting to see Australian players go over and do uh, whatever he might do. And for all the case of people saying, oh, you know, look at that, that one-on-one. Um, Bayern must be thinking, what the hell have we done? Like, I would say that in this situation with a player like that, Bayern are looking at the his raw pace, the power in the shot, his technical ability dribbling and beating players. And they're, they're thinking, fuck it, look what he's got. He's got all this. We can coach him the rest. We can coach We that. can if coach you, him the rest. If you yeah. saw um, what Alfonso Davies did on the weekend, his goal, that looked like Nestory in three years scoring the exact same goal from the exact same position, the yeah. exact same way he's hit it. Low, hard outside the box, finds the corner, keep it, no chance. Yeah, there's if a I very can... good, there's a very good chance he doesn't get there, and doesn't play first team for Bayern. But it doesn't matter. Like, you know, if I can him. just cross cross podcast here from 
from green to red for a second, a, a little bit of, of relevance before I mentioned Robbie Cornthwaite made a tweet about the Socceroos saying that Bruno Fonaroli starts for the Socceroos tonight. Um a yep. fantastic story for Australian football, but if we really look at the the raw section of it, it's a little bit embarrassing that a 36-year-old Uruguayan that we had to naturalise is the best striker we have available in the country right now. And then after saying that, said, hope Bruno scores a hat-trick. Perfect, right? Analyse, but do we need to criticise? Do we need to hate? Mm, no, yeah. because as much as Cornthwaite's doing mm. his job and, and analysing what is happening in front of him, like anyone who watches football is welcome to do, he then goes on to confirm, like everyone should, that he wants to see this guy succeed. Why would I... He's starting up front for the country that I love and support. As much as yeah. I think it's worrying, why would I want to see this guy fail? Do you think there's Do you think there's a weird discrepancy between the way Garang Kual was treated and the way Nestor has been treated? Because I thought everyone was on board for the Quoll train. Oh, uh, maybe the maybe Quoll, just he had the World Cup moment. I'd I think Quoll also a lot even less, prior to that a lot less controversial in his time in the A League than yeah. uh, than Nestor Irankunda has mm. been, and and Nestor Irankunda has you know he is at the depth level hated by people in this country because of oh, yeah. goals that he scored against the team that they support in the A-League yeah. or because, because he supposedly has an attitude. Or yeah. he, because mm-hmm. he's a 17-year-old fired up he against a 30-year-old up. who fired up at him. and you Gets know, upset when he's you know, these like, things. And yeah. he, people hate that there is a kid with talent and that he cares. And it's, it's, it's yeah. to the core, it's just jealousy and it's the most Australian it's... sporting thing ever. Australians love, we love forming an opinion on something straight away, but then like wanting it to play out and like not yeah. being okay with like, like we've talked so much shit about the Socceroos in this Asian Cup, but we we genuinely still want Australia to win. We just think they play shit, but I still want them to win. Like I mentioned it on the other pod as well, like people, people have been actively hoping Australia lose cricket games because they don't like a certain captain or they don't like the fact that they put Smith in too open. So it's like, <laughs> oh, let's let's hope they, you know, hope he I fails. Hope they lose. Yeah, just to prove me right. I want to prove myself right, my opinion. Yeah, let's go. All right, does my head in. Anyway. On the, on the other end of the sword as well is like Sharma Joseph, who everyone is lauding right now, and rightfully so. I'm just I, the first thing I thought was you give it two years and this country is going to hate this guy. <laughs> Potentially, um, the game overall, Melbourne City. I th- we started appallingly. I thought again um, Ben Warland and Isaias man for the first five ten minutes of this game could not hit a pass. They were hopeless, and then Antonio scores. They go one nil up City and. It really was, evens out after that. Like, we bit of a in. banger. We shouldn't overlook it. Eh? Oh, great goal! Sure. Mm. Um, the concern is that multiple times in that first five minutes, guys like Tolga Arslan, um, Yugarkovic, and Antonis were given so much space on the edge Sloppy of the box. The gap, too. the gap between Warland, Isaias, and um, the guys in front of them, Johnny Yo Fridge. and Tunnicliffe, were Fridge Fridgecliffe. Um, it was too big and too open, and they were just cutting us through there. But only for the first five, ten minutes, I think. After that, we really grew into the game and I thought we were potentially maybe even the better side and just just one of those frustrating nights where uh, both teams probably not at their best and we just weren't clinical enough. Yeah. They, yeah, sorry, you go, Coop. I, I know we're short at the back at the moment with obviously Alexander Popovich getting his, his move and we, we're all very happy for him and, and Nick Ansel on the injury list. Um, but... Uh, 
Panakikianis that has been on the bench for for us in the last few weeks. He's a centre back out of the youth team. I thought that this was potentially the, you know, you would have him on the bench again. We went into this game with, with no centre back on the bench, with uh, Ben Warland who's had his injury issues himself, Isaias who isn't on the the ripe side of of the age things. So you never know with your soft tissue and your injuries there. I thought it was a really game decision to not have a centre-back. And potentially after that first half, where, like you said, that the the midfield lacked a bit of defensive quality and the holes were just were there and too big. At halftime, we, we took off Ryan Tunnicliffe and, and Johnny Allen, brought on Luke Dizel and Ethan Alligich, who, if anything, are less defensive and have less work rate than the two that were out there in the first place. And maybe if... Panna was on the bench in this game. It was an opportunity to go, okay, this hasn't worked for the first 45 minutes. Let's give Panna his chance, bring him on and push Isaias back into that midfield in front of him. So we've got a little bit more defensive cover in the midfield, but that option's not there when you make those selections. Tough debut though, to come up against J-Mac and um, and Arsenal. That's that's, that's no. Jamie McLaren, who's got zero goals and zero assists in the month of January. Yeah, uh-huh. but none, nonetheless, the quality is still there. If you can get in behind and he can out out fox them in the box, he's going to score. None that seems like a, a poor time to throw in. Panna well, this is mind. this is where we're at as a football club, though, isn't it? If we're going to be that team that that breeds South Australians and we play the kids and we play the youngsters, unfortunately, mm. there's going to be players that have a baptism by fire. Austin Ayubi came on in a, out of position against Sydney FC when we just conceded in a game that was, you know, hold on, Nave only got a one goal lead. That's a baptism by fire. Maybe you know, forty five minutes at already one nil down. Forty five minutes. It's not the not the worst place to be doing it. Yeah, maybe Ayubi, an attacking player coming on defending a lead. I think it's not it's it's not the same thing. I don't think as a defensive player trying to claw back into the game. I just that double change of Yell and Tunnicliffe is it's. It's branded. It's absolutely branded. The most branded. baffling things I've I've seen this club do. I, I reckon. I reckon it could be the most baffling thing Viet's ever done. Because what are you gaining by bringing those two on and taking those two off? Nothing. I, with I uh, they were okay too. Like a, yeah, they were. I thought Yal was good. We I grew into it. I thought, thought Yal was giving a good thrust forward, like he always does. You know. Yep. Um, I, I just wonder with lost a couple of times, but otherwise, yeah. Have a just, chat with him. The three midfielders on the bench during this game in Ethan Alligich, who's played in the 10 in the A-League side, Luke Dazelle, who played 10 for the NPL side all of last season, or Josh Cavallo, who were in such a rush to get back from injury, made such a big deal about him coming back from injury, rushed him back off the bench straight away in the last two weeks yeah. like he was going to be a big part of this squad, who was the only midfielder on the bench who's played in a defensive position before, has played as a box-to-box, has the work rate, that experience, and a little bit of accountability, went unused off the bench. If you've got yeah. to make a change at half time, he's probably the guy, right? He's the guy, Cavallo and Fridge. Like that's how they should have come out if you wanted to take Johnny off. Hmm. I don't know what he's got Cavallo Peg does these days, though, is the the issue. Like what what position is it, Josh Cavallo? Is the question mm. we've always had in his time at Adelaide. Mm. That's exactly what I'm thinking right now. Um DM, surely. I've always wanted to see him in midfield. Just confusing. Yeah, just a really confusing lineup to start with, potentially really confusing changes and just confusing football. Like Tom said, we've had, I know that this has potentially worked for us in the last three or four weeks, but we've had this this wood over Melbourne City in the A-League for the last three or four years. We've done things against them in the past that have worked and things under Colvier with the same players that have worked. Maybe even if we started in this four triple two, maybe we go back to that four three three at halftime. We go back to what's worked against them at the past. Um 
it'll be interesting to see what he does, how he comes out this weekend against Central Coast, because to me, the way the Mariners are playing at the moment, they're a very similar team to Melbourne City and they have quality in the similar similar areas. And I just wonder whether he backs in his tactics and his formation from the weekend again and, and, and sees if it comes up differently against the Mariners. But, you know, City and Central Coast are the two teams that we got hold of at the start of the year playing the way that we'd played previously. And now we've gone and lost to one of them playing in this new formation. Do we revert? Do we stay the same? Hmm. Ooh, it's a good question, eh? They're in good nick, the Mariners. Their time and they're just really coming good. They're all the way up to third now after a bit of a slow start. Um, I thought Tulio going would be a big loss for him, but they seem to have just covered him really well. And they've still got just some just solid A-League footballers in there that did the job last season that are still running about. Um, we've dropped now three with three points out of the six. Sydney have gone ahead of us, uh, which is frustrating after we did a number on them the other week. Are we at the point now? So Central Coast at home this week, are we at the point now? We just we, we, Maybe we already were where every home game just has to be a win now. Just have to win every home game. I uh, yeah, I think so. I think there's there's an opportunity here to to beat the Mariners at home and and try and turn Highmarsh back into that little bit of a fortress that we've said in the past. Um, as well, given that the week after the Mariners we play the Glory at home, which is a game that certainly we should be winning. So there's an opportunity to a serious opportunity to collect six points from six in the next ten or so days. Yeah, uh, we get done in by the Mariners. I think. This has got it's a recipe for disaster. It kind of feels like the um uh the semi from last year. I just I don't trust that at all. They're in great form. Weird, patchy. If we show up, we might do something. If Carl wants to invent and or not even invent, revert. If he wants to revert, I think it would stand a much better chance. But if we try and match them for triple two, I don't think that we're gonna come out of with this with a win. No, I don't think so either. Can we finish the Adelaide chat. We're going to talk some other A-League stuff just quickly, but finish with our predictions as always for the Central Coast game this Saturday. We're going to draw to all. Tommy? There'll be goals. I think we'll lose 3-2. I'm going to say we win 2-1. I just want it to be different. All right. Okay. There we go. Uh, other A-League chat, I guess the what we all wanted to talk about was uh, I still refuse to call this fixture the Big Blue Melbourne-Sydney. It's just such a stupid name. What um, don't you like about it? It makes sense to me. They're both blue, blue teams. It's a yeah. big game. <laughs> yeah, got a genius marketing. Um, yeah, do you earn 120 grand a year? No. I wish. Not, not for marketing. If I did, I would do something about the state of refereeing in this country <laughs> at the moment. Because Paddy Wood was given a red card, uh, looked at on VAR. I don't believe a foul was even given by Kersey at the time. Um, and then VAR have looked at it, said it, told him to have a look and given him a red. Uh, what Sydney, we're hearing, have also appealed this since uh, as we went to, on air to record tonight, and that has been dismissed. So the decision has been reinforced by more people who think it is a red card when the entire footballing public and every player and coach and spectator in, I would say, the world is saying there's no chance this is a red card or even, like, is it even a yellow? Like, oh, my God. If, it's if so I could, depressing. 
if I can very quickly go back to your big blue comment and make you feel even more sick related oh, to the league before we talk about this sake. disgusting incident. Um, <laughs> I, for some unapparent reason, tuned into the first half of Western United, Western Sydney in Hobart on the weekend. Oh, you're sick. Which, uh, I watched the full game. Yeah. Oh, which, there's something wrong with you. Potentially, <laughs> potentially you caught this on comms, but Phil Moss, everyone's favourite A-League commentator because he oh, just has God. so much energy and says so many smart things, referred to this game as the Western Derby. Uh, <laughs> who is this guy? What's he doing? That's... Do you reckon he thought of that the night before? And he was like, in all caps, Western Derby. He thought Derby. this team from Western Melbourne that don't play in Western Melbourne against this team from Western <laughs> Sydney playing against each other in Hobart, Tasmania, should be called the Western Derby. Jeez. I did watch this whole game, but I didn't hear that because on my other screen I did have Sky Racing pumping, so Saturday Arvo, so you got to do what you got to do. Um, disgusting. Anyway, this red card incident, Paddy Wood, what the fuck's going on mm. here, Cooper? What's happening? You tell yeah, us. It's, I'm uh, asking you to give me the ref, Cooper. I'm a, I'm a huge, as you know, you, you'll bully me for rules are rules and and he's tackled him yes, and the studs do. are up. And, and it's dangerous. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll stop you there. I'll stop you there. I'll stop but, you there. I'll stop you there. Because we are, I think Tom and I have also been fairly on the same side of the sliding tackles with the studs up are just reds these days. That's fine. But you are very rules are rules. But well, you may this, carry on. This Patrick Wood challenge, if you will, it's not challenge. a t- it's not a tackle. It's not even a challenge. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't even call to it a challenge. It's yeah. two players looking at a ball that's straight up in the air, both dangling a soft leg out, trying yeah. to bring bring the ball that's under up. control. Patrick Wood doesn't even know that Adama Traore is there. Adama Traore doesn't know that Patrick Wood's there. Adama Traore goes down for two seconds, gets up, shake Pat's Wood's hands, moves on because they both know, as players, they both know that this is a footballing incident. You know scenarios like this where someone slides in and they clip you and you, oh, their studs might be high and we talk about how players go down and they add a bit of mayo to it and they stay down for a period of time. Adama Traore knew that this was a footballing incident and everyone from players to people in the stands to people watching on TV were correctly shocked at this. Newborn babies are in hospitals right now with extra shock of just this result being a red card. They've been born into a wicked world. They can't understand why this was given. An unfathomable red. I've seen so many unfathomable things this season with referees in the A-League and this just added to the pile and I just... When when it's so unanimous from the entire footballing public, it's just how are we not fixing it? How what are they seeing that makes them think this should be a red card? What are they seeing that's different to everyone else on the fucking planet? It does my head in. It's killing the game, and we're trying to grow this game in Australia. We talked in our our other pod this week about the Socceroos and trying to grow the game in Australia and stuff. How are you meant to get people interested in this when this is the shit we dish up? on the national stage with the refereeing and that we've is, just it's, fallen it's back so, into refereeing again, but it is what it is. You know, we've got to call it like out. Like you're saying, it's a spectacle. It's the big blue. Like it is Sydney versus Melbourne. These are massive games and they are, well, this wasn't prime time, was it? Yeah. It was, was this Friday actually, night. Yeah. It was prime time okay, on Friday yeah. night. Yeah. This wasn't um, a televised 10 game on Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. Um, these are the ones that you want to draw people to. And if you're going to ruin them, in such a state, in such a manner, there's you you do wonder why do we bother to try and make this league something, you know, enticing or exciting for people to watch? We're our own worst enemies. 
There has to be a gap somewhere in the investment we're putting into refereeing in football, like from higher up. And we can, like the referees we've got at the moment, there's got to be questions asked like, why Why are they making these decisions? Uh, and I would say, I want to say, why has this referee made such a horrible error? But apparently they don't see it as an error because it's been dismissed, the appeal. They doubled and down. so it's just been doubled down on as being a red card, which I'll just, it's blown my mind. And then Having... there was one last week in the was uh, the Adelaide United was it Hodgson who scored a yeah, corner, mm. and the referee just inexplicably just disallowed it for whatever she thinks she saw happen. There... And like, where are we at with this? There was there was a goal in the in the women's league on the weekend as well. Canberra Canberra scored off a corner. I it saw was, that one. It was quite clearly over the goal line, and the ref didn't give it. The same way that the the referee gave this foul, whatever she did see um, when uh, Dylan Holmes, it was, yeah. took this corner for Adelaide United and scored. Um, but these referees in the women's competition don't have VAR to help them. No, they don't. But these referees in the A-League men's competition do have VAR to help them. But in this scenario for Adam Kersey, VAR's hindered him because live, he's made a good decision. Yeah, he's he's gone. Okay, that's a foul because yes, they were both playing at the ball. Traore gets there first. Woods a little bit late. I'll give the free kick because it's a free kick. Goes that doesn't need to be a yellow. Linesman right there too. Yeah, I'm happy with that. That doesn't need to be a yellow. And then all of a sudden, one goober who watches ten replays goes, "Oh, hold on a minute, boys. This is our time. This <laughs> yeah, is our time. Money come, come to the screen, Adam. And and then Adam kersey has got the headset on. I don't know if he's, it's Chris Griffiths Jones who is the VAR official for uh... a mob of these of these primetime games. And I don't know if he's this sitting up Sammy there saying. saying to Adam Kersey, mate, don't don't make me look like a fuckwit. Don't come to the screen and go, no, I was right in the first place. Don't make me look like a fuckwit. And, and this is what I was saying the other week when, when a ref is in the VAR booth and calls an official to the screen and then the official sticks with their original decision and we're all happy about it's it because it we really agree happens. with the official decision. When it does happen, though, that is still a problem because we still have two... Yeah. Uh, two professional referees seeing an incident different ways. Yeah. And there's too much of this. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. Is it like, are they full-time in Australia now, our referees? Oh, well, if they taught them, us yeah. anything, just replay the season. Hey, do it in Belgium. Replay it all. Yeah, replay it all. No, it's what you said, Sammy. It's the guys who are, it's it's head down. And you think who who have been the head referees over the years. It's like Mark Shield, who was okay on his day but i don't think had a firm <laughs> grasp of what the modern game was and then you go into chris griffith jones or whoever else is going to be it's all ex-referees matthew that we breeze. have not liked matthew breeze <laughs> yeah well matthew breeze who ruined an a-league grand final and went on to be the head of head of the dickheads for 15 years <laughs> you wait mariners at home this weekend cooper's going to be on the field yeah. chasing whoever we have <laughs> Our best, I think our best referee by far has, has proven it by his off in England now. Um, still. Gillett, not Phillip. <laughs> Jared Gileo Fish, as we once <laughs> called him on this pod. We named him after a fish burger at Macca's. That's criminal. What were we thinking? <laughs> um, but yeah, he's over there. And for whatever you think of him, he's on, like, there's worse. There's worse referees. Uh, I think we're always going to have a bit of a distaste for referees in general uh, because it is, you know, all the cliches, it is a hard job. It's tough to do, but the mistakes that we see here are not like 
they're not like the ones where you're like, oh, how's he given that? It's like, what yeah. game are you it's watching? Like you don't, you don't seen know something the rules. completely different to everyone else. So, Who, who's I'm, your favorite ref? Does anyone have a favorite ref in the A League? Yeah, oh, it'd be hard pressed. Uh, I to think, like any of them. I think that the best official that we have in the country right now is Ali Reza Fagani by a long way. He is agreed. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. So maybe yeah. we need more international referees. I'm waiting for the Robbie Cornthwaite tweet, like similar to the Bruno <laughs> Fornaroli one. Um, he's, he's just, where are the Australian <laughs> referees? Or are we hoping that Ali gets a hat-trick on the weekend? I'm hoping that Ali Ali has 17 kids that all want to be referees and just secures <laughs> the future of officiating in this country. The future of it Australian makes them all refereeing. Be <laughs> the future of Australian refereeing is in your penis. All right. It's I like think that, that might be the Torre family of referees. I uh before before you wrap up, Sammy, I yeah. wanted to finish tonight on a, on a little bit of a, a lighter note than the <laughs> Ali Reza Fagani's penis and the, the head of the dickheads and sure. like the referees. Um <laughs> Yeah, we've got hour. 17 kids, I bet it's light. <laughs> about an hour before we came on, on the on the mics tonight, uh, Milos Ninkovic announced his retirement from professional football. Um, this mm. guy has been an absolute champion for the A-League and for now eight years has been a proper joy to watch. Uh, came to Sydney FC in 2015, was there for seven years until 2022. He played 181 games and scored 35 goals before joining the Wanderers in 2022, where he's now played 26 games. In his time in Australia, he has won three A-League Premier's plates with Sydney FC in 16, 17, 17, 18, and 19, 20. He has three A-League championships yep. in 16, 17, 18, 19, and 19, 20. The sole FFA Cup in 2017. He is a two-time Johnny Warren medalist in 16, 17, and 2021. He has been in the PFA A-League team of the season five times in 16, 17, 17, 18, 18, 19, 19, 20, and 2021, and is the 2019 Joe Marston medalist for the best on ground in the grand final. This guy is one of the better guys that I've seen in the A-League in in my time watching it and probably one of the best that we will see for a period of time and and a happy retirement to him. And I hope he's he's one of the the foreign players that's been here long enough now that we can keep him around Australian football and have him yeah. involved somewhere in the development of our future players. Top 10 for me, I think, off the top of my head. I'd have to make a list maybe. That's a fun one for the off-season. But off the top of my head, I, I'm feeling he'd have to be top 10 if you really crunched it down and thought about it. Yeah, for players in this league. Also, his career outside of Australia, he won the league with Red Star, and he won a bunch of stuff in the Ukraine with uh, uh in Ukraine, not the Ukraine, uh, with Dynamo Kiev. So, yeah, just an absolute star. He really makes me feel nothing, and I wouldn't have him much. I knew you were going to say I, this. I don't know what it is. Like, I'm happy to. <clears throat> I'm happy it's to you're a dickhead. Position players. No, it's not. It's not because I love Broish <laughs> and like. I love Shinji Ono, like guys. I just there was just something about him, yeah, that the, never properly the blue impressed Sydney me. FC shirt. Well, Sydney FC shirt would do it. <laughs> nah, it's not even Sydney because they're they're not even in my top three clubs that I don't like in the A League. Like just uh, just there's something just never got me. There were moments, of course, but never never did I think Ninkovic would be a top ten A League player. I think just uh, for me, like I kind of get what you're saying there. Uh, probably doesn't have, I think like he does pull out those special moments with some of his goals or some of his assists or his passes. Or his touches uh, in midfield but, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, but overall, I don't think he does exert that a whole lot. It's more just 
I think just a super intelligent footballer who is mm. uh, just a, a perfect 10 for what you want. It doesn't, he doesn't overdo things. He, um, he just, he does what he needs to do for his team, right? So much of the time and rarely, rarely messes it up. So I, th- I think know, the, the I longevity of the, the guy's brilliance to win a, to win yeah. a John, Johnny Warren in 2016, five seasons, win, a, win another Johnny Warren five seasons later, but my favorite stat in there, and I've been, I'm a killer for this in the, the AFL, the NRL, the A-League, any sport, is that the the PFA team of the season that he was a part of five times is, is voted by his peers. And to be, obviously, in the two years he won the Johnny Warren, but also the three years in between the two Johnny Warren medals, to be in that team every year for those five-year period shows how insanely good he must have been to come up against for his peers yeah. to just continually vote him into those yeah, teams. Yeah, maybe. I think after you have a couple of good seasons, you get... You get a little bit of tenure, like what well, Messi was voted um, World Player of the Year by his peers for the year just gone, and you would think, what did he do in two thousand twenty three that other players didn't succeed him in? And I, I just, I got that impression with Ninko after a little bit. He was in a spectacular team. That Sydney team wasn't as fun to watch as Brisbane, and it wasn't as you know um, dominating as Melbourne early on. <clears throat> but it is probably or City in the way that they went about things, but it probably is the best ever side we've seen, uh, like dynasty in a way, in the A-League. Um, but I just, I feel like he was a very good player, but one that was much benefited by the guys that were around him. We'll save it. We'll pen it in. It's a good conversation to have maybe in the off-season as a, maybe the top 10 A-League players. We can do our own lists. Um you're forgetting also that he did play in the A-League All-Star game against Barcelona in a Ooh. 3-2 loss. What Watch a out. moment for football in this country. <laughs> All right, we better leave it there. We've gone on a while. We've also got the green episode. Like I said, go back, listen to that. Episode 142, we talked about Klopp. We talked about Socceroos. Talked about our games of the week. Uh, we also we also talked about the Adelaide United 20th anniversary dinner last week. Go back and check that red edition out. Bit of a different one rather than talking about the footy. Um, good stuff. Go the Reds. Central Coast at home this week. We've already done our predictions. Let's hope we get a win. I don't, uh, we're not too confident, but uh, it is what it is. Go the Reds. Have a good week, folks. See you later. Get around us on the socials. Bye.